0: We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we're looking at the Space 1999 epic The Lambda Factor by Terrence Dix. Mm-hmm. And- 2,308 days since leaving Earth's orbit, the moon is traveling through a completely empty zone of space. The alphans call it the peace zone because with nothing there, there are no threats. Of course, with nothing there, there's no chance of a new home either. Despite the peace, there have been some discipline problems and Koenig is sleeping badly, haunted by visions of the people he's murdered. Meanwhile, Sally, one of Helena's staff, is attacked by a poltergeist-like phenomenon and killed security officer tony redeshi finally has something to do and is on the case Sally had been one leg of an unfortunate love triangle. She was once engaged to Mark, but they broke up, and Mark took up with Carolyn, Sally's roommate. There may be some hard feelings, certainly. These are the things that lead to murder. Koenig is getting increasingly irrational, and more fights and problems are breaking out. Maya discovers a thing in space emitting lambda waves. No, says Helena, that's the lambda variant a brainwave associated with ESP. She conducts tests and discovers that three people are exhibiting unconsciously super powerful ESP powers. Carolyn is one of them. When Mark breaks up with her, she kills him with her mind powers. Koenig has a catatonic breakdown, and in a first for Moonbase Alpha, Helena cures him. Meanwhile, Carolyn takes over all the personnel of Moonbase Alpha, although she seems to have no reason to do so. Koenig, it turns out, was the fourth person with heightened super ESP, and he has more than anyone else, because of course he does. Instead of hating on Carolyn, he shows pity and compassion, and her brain wakes itself out and the thing in space leaves. All returns to normal except for Carolyn, who must be retrained as if she were a child. So uh, I've been debating on this one, um, whether or not I should introduce this piece of, uh, documentary evidence at the beginning of the conversation or towards the end of the conversation and thinking that there's probably not a lot to talk about uh, with regards to this episode, I thought I would introduce it Uh, first so that you will have this in the back of your mind. I found a... quote, or a little bit of writing done by Terence Dix talking about the process of him doing this episode. And it's three short paragraphs long, and I thought I would just read it. You can find it up on Catacombs of the Moon. Uh, which is uh, catacombs.space1999.net. That's the online database where people are, somebody's collecting Space 1999 stuff. But I, I just wanted to read this because I find it fascinating. It, it gives us such insight into how Space 1999 was run. Fred Freiberger, um, the whole the whole thing, and and remembering that Terence Dix is probably you know has a lot of cred. He and Robert Holmes and a few other people who wrote for Doctor Who as British writers, you would think they would be involved in Space nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, movies, but but really not not so much. So this is this is attributed to Terrence Dix. Okay, I wrote a very weird episode for Space nineteen ninety nine, and the whole experience was very strange. Basically. I heard from my agent that they were making the show in England and were going to take a certain number of scripts from English writers. I went down to Pinewood where they were making it and had a very peculiar meeting with Fred Freiberger who was the American producer and terribly high powered. He said, quote, we're in the middle of discussing our storyline, aren't we? And I said, no. And then he said, but you've read all our material and seen the other films. And I said, no. He told me briefly about the show and said that if I had any ideas to give him a call. Well, I went away thinking that it was never going to work out. After a while, I got the nagging feeling that I really should give it a go. I worked out an idea that was basically about a combination of science fiction and the supernatural. The moon base, and in particular, the Martin Landau character, were haunted. I phoned up Fred Freiberger, and this voice at the other end said, Okay, shoot! I told him the story, and after a long silence, he said, We have a deal! I'll call your agent! And he put the phone down. A contract came through. I wrote the script, sent it off, and after a while, the money came through. But I never heard anything more. I never got any feedback or an invitation to the shooting. Nothing. Not a word. The whole thing faded from my memory until an American Doctor Who fan told me he'd seen The Lambda Factor, MySpace 1999 episode. I didn't even know it had been made. I did eventually see it when when it got relegated to the 10 o'clock one morning on ITV. They had only been minimal tinkering but it was basically the show as i wrote it i had one meeting and one phone call and that was it Hmm. seems like a weird way to run a tv show
1: yeah but uh not entirely surprised no, no, Not really. no,
0: no. You know, and, and I think there is, um, I mean, I don't know enough about Fred Freiberger to, to say one way or another, but there is certainly uh, an era of Hollywood or uh, you know, a group of people. Um, a lot of times you hear this about studio heads, where you go into them and you you pitch something and they just go, deal, I'll send you a contract. That That's a thing that's happened in the old days. This mm-hmm. is before, before it reached the point where you have to run it by a bunch of marketing people and go. Well, you think we can sell this idea? How's it going to work to this age group? Who are we pitching this at? What stars can we get associated with it? And all the things that they go into in the business model. But back in the days of the of the artistic model, where you and the writer and you're creating a craft, um, you know this is this is. What apparently happened uh, a fair amount. I don't know that it ever happened that way in Britain. And maybe that's why that surprises him so much. But it is uh it is an awfully hands off approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then maybe Fred Freiberger had some contractual obligation that he had to use X number of British writers and, you know, gets my number up. Oh, Pip and Jane Baker wrote to me. Uh, give him a contract, you know. Hmm. So, um, anyway, that is the story about why Terrence Dix wrote one <clears throat> episode of Space 1999. And apparently that's the reason he wrote one only, because he didn't even know they'd bothered they had to, written it, but they'd they they completed it. it. Yeah, weird. Anyway, if you'd been the writer of this, would you care if you knew if they'd completed it? <laughs> I'd be embarrassed. <laughs> it is... Um, I liked the first season episode with the sitar better. The, oh, the ghostly. much! Yeah, you know that was that was a lot more interesting kind of ghostly concept that it had, and that's I'm not picking on Terrence Dix here because uh, you know Terrence Dix has when it comes to Doctor Who, he puts in a, a pretty journeyman job. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and there's a lot to be said for that. you know. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to be said for being able to just go to a writer and say, I need a story, and they give you one. And you go, yep, that's shootable, and I can, I can do the, you know, it doesn't require a lot of work, et cetera. So um, this is pretty uninspired. Um, and it's it does kind of feel like opera. a first draft, it,
1: doesn't it? I, I was watching it, and it, it's, it just, it is re- this, oh, my God, this episode is reduced to nothing more than a soap opera. I mean, with the behavior that we're watching... I mean, this is like teenage girls off Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two One O. You don't love me. I'm going to make sure that no, you can't be with anybody. Kind of thing. I mean, this is this is soap opera.
0: It's like I said, it's Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two One O. Set on the moon. Yeah, yeah. I I I don't disagree. Like I say, I I. I debated whether we should have, you know, have that information, but I knew I'd have it in my head when I was talking to you about it. And that's sort of an unfair advantage. And you, you kind of I could try to sound like I'm being very clever and coming up with stuff and then slinging it at the end and going, and by the way, Terrence Dixon. But this feels like a first draft to me. This feels like a pitch. Like I had this idea for a story. I'm I I've written a spec script, you know, based on these characters that, you know, I don't know very well, but, you know, give me some stuff. I got a security guy, okay, he'll do security stuff. I got a doctor, she'll do some doctor stuff. I got the commander, he'll be haunted by ghosts because it's his show. And and, you know, there's interpersonal drama. And I would think as a writer coming into a show, me as, you know, modern day, that if I put in a script to them like that, and and they'd go well you know good I, I like I like a lot of this Barbara Bain's character is not quite right or or we don't have a whole lot of this whole soap operay stuff going on I- in the episode and and might tweak it so that it's more like the other shows of the series but it sounds like they didn't even really do that and it, mm. that makes me kind of think yeah all right it, it kind of makes sense they were perhaps just absolutely desperate for stories too. And it, not that it's an unsalvageable one, but it just, it's not very good either. And and we spend- Well, you,
1: you, you make the point where, okay, you refer to the, the first season episode uh, with the sitar, uh, again- The episode with the sitar, g- that's his name. Right, remember. Uh, yeah, because I mean, that's the easiest way to remember it. Uh, it this, this really highlights the differences that we're seeing between seasons one and two. I mean, even when season one- or series one, if you're if if you're a Brit, even even series one, when those episodes didn't work, at least for over half of them, they were deliberately trying to do something different, um, not just in terms of the story, but in the manner in which they were telling it. Mm-hmm. So even if it didn't quite work, there were usually some aspects to the production of that episode that made you say, okay, I mean, yeah, I didn't like it, but I kind of you kind of have some respect for what they were attempting. I have none of that. No respect,
0: only contempt. This is very pedestrian. Oh, please. Although yeah, all right, it's it's very it's very pedestrian. I, I there was one moment in this episode and I can't call it to mind and this is obviously not the story, but something about some of the directorial choices where they did sort of remind me just a little bit of some of the things they would do in series one with mm-hmm. lighting and things and, and not the scene where they darkened the corridors and whatnot but oh no just, that's that was were, a cheap shot yeah there, there was I think maybe it was when Sally was being killed and the stuff was being thrown around the room there was a there was a certain <sighs> change in the lighting that the way they did it that it that I'm like well maybe this is a different director it almost made me look to see who the director was to see if it was like somebody that they'd brought back from series one or something but I I didn't because I saw it Terrence Dix and my brain went whoa Terrence sticks yeah Terrence Dicks. <laughs> mine did exactly <laughs> the same I like, hey, thing on. I
1: didn't even bother to look at the director I just saw it written by Terrence sticks and that was it. it was like oh shiny object <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it was I you know I had I my hopes were up frankly at that moment well but okay so let me ask you this now
1: do you remember ever wa- having watched this episode before I remember bits of it but I
0: and I've seen it fairly recently, but I mean, it. No, it doesn't stick well in the brain. It, this it one did goes for away. me.
1: This one did for me. Sadly, it stuck really well in the brain. And as every scene was playing us up, yep, I remember that. I was like, I remembered all of it, every bit of it. I recalled. So when I saw Terrence Dick's name pop up, in my case, it was like a hmm. A lot of questions have now been answered. And I and that was it. I just I, I, I just tuned out uh, looking any further into the credits in terms of who might have directed is like, OK, I mean, you know, it's 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 a Terence Diggs story. It, it is who has historically, as you said, he's he's been a bit of a journeyman when it comes to Doctor Who. But and even that's been kind of hit and miss.
0: I mean, he has written some real garbage. The only ones I can think of off the top of my head that he's written that his name are on are War Games and (sighs) State of Decay. But um, I know he was involved in the first writing of Brain of Morbius. Um, So he did write Five Doctors. I know that. Right, I'm not a fan of the five doctors. I, I but but I I forgive I forgive any poor sod who has to write just to do a, a multi doctor episode. story and, yeah. and give them all equal airtime and try to come up with something to do. I mean, that's just you know the more it gets, the harder it is. And I'll go back to Day of the Doctor, Stephen Moffat. If nothing else, for anything he did throughout the course of his time, he did a bang up job with a multi doctor story. There, true and. Um,
1: now, I'm looking at Terrence's writing credit. Well, he was a massive script editor.
0: He was the script editor for a long time,
1: yeah. Oh, uh, quite a while. But yes, he did write State of Decay.
0: He'd written that some years earlier, apparently, and pitched it and uh, and repitched it after John Nathan Turner came in. Um, it just didn't go earlier. For some he reason. changed
1: his he changed his name. Um, he went by the name of Rob Robin Bland.
0: That's what he used for for Branimirius because somebody rewrote.
1: Uh, he did robot. Of yes, course, he, he did robot. Uh, ro- yeah, scriptwriter um,
0: writes the incoming story. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, War games. of death. Uh, oh, the the oldest one that I can see and it's uncredited is for The Dominators episodes f- uh, 4 and 5 but yeah he did uh, 1 through 10 of, of War Games and 1 through 6 of Seeds of Death he also did uh, Horror of Fang Rock oh, oh I huh. love
0: Horror of Fang Rock actually I love that
1: one oh okay not my favorite but okay but yeah I,
0: I, in State of Decay it's Yeesh. State of Decay suffers from not the not so much the story as the performance and the It's
1: very stale. I mean the the episode just doesn't move. Which is kind of uh emblematic of a lot of his writing, unfortunately. Well we
0: can't blame him for war games. War games was supposed to be two separate stories and something went wrong and they plunked it on him and said, You gotta do a ten barter. <laughs> mm. And you know, that's that's a tough one. That's a really tough one to, to hit somebody with that. And obviously, if he had to write the last two episodes of The Dominators, there must have been a problem there. Probably. You know. And,
1: and again, he didn't get any uh, credit for that.
0: And I, and I seem to recall that the the whole Robin Bland incident, if I remember correctly, was that he submitted the script and then he went on vacation and they couldn't get hold of him or something. And so the then script editor rewrote it and he had his name taken off of it. Mm. So, you know, what's what's his what's not his hard to say. But but anyway, um all more fascinating than the lambda factor. Well, yeah, exactly. well, we'll give it a try anyway. <laughs> Oh, dear God. (laughs) We'll give it a try. Anyway, I was, and probably emblematic, well, okay, of not understanding space 1999 is literally the opening where she talks about the peace zone. Where we're not being dead. We've got no threats. Everybody's all happy. It's like, I would think you would see planets as an opportunity, not a threat, right? You're not going to get off that rock if you If you consider every single one of them as a threat. Right. And, and, you know, I was like, well, you would think there'd be enough time between planets that you would kind of, you'd kind of be all like, oh, an extra long extra period of time between planets. Well, that's boring, not peaceful at all. And... And, you know, one, I think that's Terrence Dix not knowing anything about the show. But two, we see that all throughout series two. They're not about trying to find a home. They're about fighting the damage. And I think that's that's the tone. That's also the lack of leadership from Fred Freiberger or it, it is the leadership of Fred Freiberger to to avoid the depressing. We can't find a home stuff and just worry about the pew pew um, with the aliens and stuff. Um, wow. In other words, it's another no more tea in the Midlands kind of story. Oh, it's absolutely uh, Fred Freiberg's whole term is we still had too much tea. I think, I think that's what we can call Fred. The man that too said, much tea, Fred, we have two, we still have too much tea. <laughs> We thought we got rid of the T, but we did not get rid of enough of the T. I think now the T has been spiked with hallucinogenics series one, and so now we need to get rid of that T2. So, uh, anyway, one thing. Okay, I I don't. Let's kind of go through it. Um, That was the fakest looking moon base door made of particle board. Yeah.
1: But when you consider, you know. I mean, I okay, I I excuse that because I was just completely hung up with that ridiculous space phenomenon, the f- that freaking space pinwheel. Had we hadn't seen that yet though,
0: hadn't we? It no, that, that was like familiar. the door was the opening scene. That's that true. Even pre credit, but um, but that's true. Remember, and know. but I
1: think what happened, I, I I think when we got to the pinwheel, it's like I completely
0: forgotten about the door. <laughs> it is a remarkably. And it's not the first time we've seen that. Let, let's, let's, not, uh, let's not put too fine on a point. It's a remarkably dumb special effect. Oh, yes. The pinwheel. It doesn't, you know, it, it's not just that it doesn't look like anything. I, it looks like a fake something. Mm-hmm. And if it looks fake and you don't know what it's supposed to be then you, you can't even give it the credit of a doubt. You know, if it was supposed to look like a space... If it looks like a spaceship, so go back to Doctor Who. If it looks like one of the old spaceships that's hanging on a piece of string with some, uh, maybe some tinfoil asteroids being swung by it on strings and stuff, you could look at that and go, well, that's a spaceship and it's an asteroid and that's a terrible special effect. But but okay, right? Okay, But you, but, what but you, you get what it's supposed to be. This looked like maybe they had cut some... Plastic sheeting that was semi-transparent out, and then we're spinning it on a black, and and so because it doesn't have any nothing for you, it's not even a cloud or a planet or an eyeball or anything. It's just a pattern, and you look at it, and you go, "That looks like beast plastic being rotated on a on the screen." And it, probably the least convincing f- effect I can recall in the entire series.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. And, and Brian Johnson should be ashamed uh, of himself <gasps> for, for that one. But maybe they were doing it on, you know, Buck ninety eight. We can't afford rewrites, so... Oh, there's well, one. They're... We can't afford rewrites. You know, that costs money.
1: Well, that's one of the things oh, that no, we've doesn't. also observed uh, when we started going into season two. Uh, and this is not something that I initially caught when I first started watching series two way back in the day when I was a teenager. I applauded the change. I thought, oh, it's not so sterile. It's, you know, there's there's color, and, and the sets look more interesting. You know, But as I watched it now, I was like, no, the sets look more fake. Everything looks and feels like it was done with a cheap. And I seem to recall that we had some kind of a conversation about this mm-hmm. that maybe part of the deal for its return for a, a second series was uh, a reduction
0: in uh, the, the production costs, I think. Oh, I'm sure there must have been a reduction in production costs. But you know, that's not always a bad thing. I mean, th- th- that's that's not No, a bad I mean,
1: thing. I've s- I've seen I've seen a, a reduction in production costs done in Star Trek movies, you know, going from motion pictures to rakon. That was the exact one and I was thinking about. That that's... was brilliant the way they pulled that off. Uh, so, yeah, it doesn't have to be a bad thing, but I think it requires a lot of ingenuity in order to make that work. And that was something that they were sorely in absence of for this particular series.
0: Yeah. Um, and they could have done more color with the old sets. You know, yeah, they, yeah, they, they could, could have, have. They could have just added a lick of paint here and there or or a few more blinky lights in places, and it wouldn't it wouldn't look... The same. I think part of the problem is that they had to probably reduce their studio space. You know, when you're building very possible your standing sets, they're they're typically um you know, stuff like that is kind of built like a rabbit's worn a lot of times, where a corridor outside here is so that it's visible through one door and then that's a shot that they use from elsewhere and then even though it's, you know, miles away on the base, really Sick Bay is just right around the corner and to the right and so they have to have a big studio, and they have to have those standing sets built into it. And I suspect that they were moved down to a little lesser prestigious um, uh, set. And, and Main Mission in particular, which was a huge set, um, got shot. And you know, they spend all their time in, in Main Missions or, or Command Centers. So that was the first one. But yeah, yeah. Um, it's no Wrath of Khan. No, wrath of Khan. not by any stretch. So let's see. We see uh, we see some players. Um, oh, by the way, when Koenig doesn't get any sleep, he's a jerk. Oh, that's putting it kindly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wasn't frankly wasn't sure what was going on until he actually explained it to to Dr. Russell and said, "I can't sleep." Uh, and, and I'm watching like, this. So I'm thinking, "Wow, Koenig, man, you're a." D-
1: Mhm. I mean, it's like is this what you really like, Landau? I certainly hope not.
0: See, now in the way Dr. Russell explains it in the opening monologue, it sounds like it sounds like there's lots of little discipline problems and things going on, yeah. doesn't it? And then then she turns around and says, "Well, you know, the big one is my own staff, Sally, who's like a, keeps getting late with her inventory." I'm like, really? Who cares? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, you're in the peace zone. What do you care if it's late? No, I but um, and then we don't really see it. We see Koenig being a jerk. Mm-hmm. We don't really see anybody else being a jerk in in the next few in the next few scenes. And Not right away. You're kind of thinking maybe that's just because Helen is an idiot, and and you know if if Koenig is upset, then everybody's upset because he he's the John man. Mm-hmm. But. Um, when you think about the game that, that they were playing that got, uh, got the fight going. So, so there's this board and you push a number and some lights come on and numbers and stuff. Make any sense out of that game? No, but
1: then it's the moon. God only knows what, what kind of strange things that they've got going on there to pass the time. I, no sense of that no. game. I mean, all except
0: that it would just look ridiculously random. It well, it is ridiculously random. It did look random, and therein lies the question. If it's random, then all right, I can kind of see somebody getting upset if you just keep winning, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's like, uh, excuse me, how come you keep rolling boxcars? You know, and and die, or you know, how, how does that happen? It can't possibly happen. So sure, you think the guy's cheating? Fine, I, I get that. If it's a game of skill. And there's sort of an implication that it's a game of skill because, you know, he thinks about his move before he pushes the button. Mm-hmm. Both of them do it. They're like, hmm, hmm, hmm. I, I was hoping it was like a real game from somewhere. That, that It's not. It's not a game. I mean, you just
1: push a bunch of buttons and then that's it. I mean, that, where's the game in that?
0: I don't know. I was kind of hoping it was like Terrace, where um, the game Terrace, if you, oh, yeah, it's Terrace, was one, some sort of a th- thingamajiggy award game award and then got featured on star trek the next generation in the rec room somewhere so that that was part of their marketing so, well, things let featured on so i thought maybe this was like a game that they were trying to sell in britain because it, it kind of looks like the kind of thing i would expect somebody sitting at home with a bbc computer might be thinking was a high-tech game but mm. anyway um all right but but let's 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 carry this a little further. one guy's playing he constantly wins the other guy gets upset they get into a fight i get it i get it you think somebody's cheating you at cards maybe you're losing money if they have money and <clears throat> great great you, but. you get upset. but we do do we know that that was happening by accident in other words the guy who was winning didn't realize that he was telepathically winning or was this the the thing trying to generate hatred that's a great
1: question, and it was never properly clarified. I mean, we, we really don't even get to that whole hate thing until we get towards Carolyn again. <laughs> right at the end. Right towards the very end, and it's like, oh, where did this all come from, and how does this play off at what was going on earlier?
0: Okay, well, I got one I more. I mean, that, that, that's an interesting new development. I got one more for you then. Three quarters of the Eagles are non-operational. Right. And the first thing that was sabotage, maybe, I don't know. So Alan looks at the, Alan looks at the records and he finds that this one guy did maintenance on each one of the eagles that has gone non-operational. Okay. Mm-hmm. Evidentially, that that looks like it might be, this guy might be sabotaging. It doesn't make any sense why he would, but it uh, at least questioning him. It's like, hey, what's going on? So then he tells him, I get this motor. It's not working. I bring it in here and put it on the bench and it works fine. I put it back in the eagle and it doesn't work. And I bring it back out here and I put it on the bench and it works and it again. it works. Yeah. Wouldn't... If he knew that, wouldn't that have been in the report of the maintenance? So that instead of Alan going, "I just happened to notice that you're the guy that worked on all these eagles," it would be like, "I see here in your report that everything you you work on doesn't seem to work when it's connected to the eagle, according to what you wrote here in your in your filing report." That he's a guy that's loves fixing the eagles and, and mm-hmm. working on the eagles, so I can't see him being the one that's sabotaging them. You know, even subconsciously, right? So that makes me think that this comes from outside it but. would sort
1: of suggest that except we have to, one thing to consider is um you know, especially regarding the little inquisition that he's being subjected to who's he getting it from he's getting it from alan mm-hmm. who and this is one of the reasons why i really didn't pay much mind when i watched it most recently because he's alan And Alan is, you know, it's like I felt like we were getting a bit of a
0: revisitation of the angry Aussie again. Well, I understand why Alan is, you know, it's like that's a pretty harebrained story that he's getting here. But I didn't see it as being, you know, out of line, Alan, like he can be. And I didn't really get that the other guy was super pissed about the accusation because it wasn't exactly an accusation straight up. You know, it's more more questioning, more questioning. Like, I'm asking you questions here. And so whose hate are we generating? Is it, are we supposed to, if, if we follow to the end where hate generates the power that they need to do this, is Alan hating on the maintenance guy? And is the maintenance guy hating on Alan? And that's how the maintenance guy puts the atomic motor on to kill him? Is that what happened? Is, is subconsciously the atomic, the maintenance engineer uh, decided he hates Alan so much he wants him dead? Because hmm. I didn't really understand what was going on there. Neither did I didn't either. I didn't either. It was not very clear to me. I mean, the only one that – the only two murders that make <laughs> sense – well, there are only two in an attempted murder yeah. – is I get how if Carolyn is unstable and she's, you know, subconsciously given this power and she hates Sally and, you know, her subconscious hatred goes out and kills Sally. I kind of understand that. I'm not saying I agree with it, but, I, you know, I mean, that that's – if that's – they're heavily emotionally invested in this uh, uh, arrangement, then – That's the sort of thing that happens. That's why Mm -hmm. I mentioned it that way. It's like, that's what causes people to kill. And if you had the power to kill somebody in your mind and you didn't know it, you know, look out. (laughs) Like, Mm. because, you know, it would would happen. You know, I I could, you know, clearly say that in my mind, there are times when I think, I really wish that person was dead, which of course I would never take the action. No, of course not. But if my mind could just kind of slip out and do it without my, (laughs) I say so, it might I don't know. And then, I'm not sure why Mark broke up with her. Did that make any sense? No. Did, did he, did it, did it come off like he was maybe thinking that she did do something? Well, I can't,
1: I don't know. Maybe he just felt like it was just a little rebound thing. But then once um, Sally was dead, uh, the whole rebound fun of the relationship with <laughs> Carolyn was just
0: gone. Dude, you live on a base with 311 people. Take the rebound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't have too many options to, to work with um but uh anyway uh so yeah i i you know all those little pieces didn't make a whole lot of sense and then koenig he's seen ghosts mm-hmm. does he hate himself is, i think that...
1: that's where that was going it was i mean if we're gonna follow the whole hate line then yes the it, it would have to have been koenig hating on himself
0: and uh, we had a conversation not long ago about guilt being illogical and, and not justified guilt. Connie Koenig- false guilt, yeah. Well, and this is this is big time false guilt. Connie doesn't seem like that type, though. I mean, I, I can, I can, I'll take that back. Connie does seem like the type who would agonize over killing somebody i sent that eagle pilot out to die i totally yeah. i could totally see that so i could understand him agonizing over having to leave his best friend and his best friend's fiance or wife i forget which it was um to die and and points to them you know they mentioned this venus probe thing once before mm-hmm. in an episode of Space 1999. And I would love to know whether, after having been given the the commission to write the p- script, did Terrence Dix go back and watch episodes or do something so that he could at least t- take a stab at it and go, oh, that's a thing, I can use that. Or in is that you're what asking- they tinkered with?
1: <laughs> in other words was turnsticks a responsible writer and and research his subject uh, great question don't know
0: uh, what well, and who knows what materials they provided him I mean it's not like the days where you could pop in the VHS tapes and say here watch the show right right so at best uh, you know maybe he can screen some some prints or something and and go from there but I'd be curious as to whether he saw series one or series two. I really would love to see his first draft script. I would love to see the absolute, this is the script he turned in.
1: To see how much was changed or how little was changed. Yeah, yeah. Kind
0: of curious, yeah. I don't I mean, I, gee, on the dark web, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Where all the episode scripts of Space like, <laughs> Nine exist somewhere.
1: You know, there's one thing about this this episode, there, there was one story part that I just, I, I literally just stopped watching it. And had to puzzle over because something did not make any sense. Here we have Helena. with well, a lot of it didn't make sense. <laughs> oh, yeah, all right. Here we had Helena. Well, I'll to, oh, let, me, let, me, let me start off by saying something that did make sense. And that is, hey, good on you, Helena, for having that Botox face. Nothing moved during those psychic attacks from Carolyn. That's true. Her face didn't budge. I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. Okay. Um, when Helena came up with that booth... Yes. That was supposed to shield people from the Lambda variant. Because yes. the okay. logic is that whoever can exercise the Lambda variant inside of this booth must be the killer. Why are they coming up with that conclusion? I I mean, wh- how did they come up with that as a test? I mean, okay, I get it's, it, this is a really classic case of cart before the horse. I get how... If you're looking to, you know, test a person's power, that might be a great way to do it. But to simply say, well, whoever, you know, committed the murders, if, you know, they've got power inside that booth, then that's them. How do you know that? I mean, whoever did it was not in the booth to begin with anyway. They weren't shielded from the energy wave from that space phenomenon. So that automatically makes for this uh, to
0: be a really, really bad test. I 100% agree with you that it made no sense to me either. I mean, I, it's hard to even try to fake justify it, but, but let's, let's try this. (laughs) Let's try this. Okay. What if, and they didn't say it, so making it up. What if what they're trying to imply is that that thing out there is influencing these people? Okay. But well, that is in the script. It's influencing these people. But what if they're trying to say that it has more than influenced them? It's taken over one of them. Mm. Therefore, putting them in there, they would take the part of with them that has taken them over, which is what we see, basically. And so what they're trying to figure out is who is the furthest gone of the people? Why that would make them the murderer? I don't know. Still doesn't make any sense with regards to saying that's the person who's guilty. But it certainly. Well, if they had addressed it
1: as this is. Okay. Uh, but you know, but even that kind of three kinda...
0: people with powers and but one see, of them even, hated her.
1: Yeah, but here's here's the but then it falls apart again because you put each one of them in there, and then they're immediately cut off from any influence. So now you have three test results that are all, for all intents and purposes, identical because they're completely cut off. I mean, if the if that booth serves the purpose that it's supposed to serve, and he, and once more, you know, whoever committed these murders, they were uh, not cut off, cut off whatsoever from any influence from that spinning, you know, the 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 spinning wheel. So putting them in the booth does not determine one way or the other that they were affected by this pinwheel in space, and that's what caused them to commit the murders in the first place. Right, I, I'm 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 with you. It, it doesn't work. I mean, it's it's all it does is it creates an interesting little story wrinkle when Carolyn gets to say, "Oh, but let me try it one more time." bo ha 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 ha. You know, the only thing she was missing was a handlebar mustache to twirl.
0: I have to say that, that the actress playing that part, um, while not particularly uh, uh, stellar uh, at her actress, she certainly, her, her face as a sadistic um, monster is much better than her lovey-dovey face with Mark. Oh, yeah. You know, once they turn it the right way, it's like, eh, she does actually have a pretty cruel face there. She has expression. Soft, fluffy Seventies hairstyle. <laughs>
1: she yeah, she has facial expressions.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we're not used to those. No we're not. No, not, not Thank not you, Barbara. Oh, I'm sorry, I did it again. <sighs> i love the fact that uh that helena goes into john's room and she's talking with him and you know saying you need to get some sleep john uh you know after she hears i don't know about him being irritable or whatever and and she's you really need to get some sleep john and uh and he says well i just can't sleep and said and so she reaches into her pocket and she and the pill pusher that she is she just pulls out sleeping pills that she's carrying and he goes i want you to take these
1: I'm like yeah, you kind of think she's got maybe a little side business going on there, don't you? Hmm. You do,
0: you do kind of feel like that. Um, and then I love Koenig's outburst because it's it's like an MST 3K moment where he says, hmm. "How do I command this base if I'm losing my mind?" And my thought was like, "Well, how do you usually do it?" <laughs> yeah, and I, and this is different. How? How? Yeah. Yeah. And and the other thing is is that he never saw the ghost. well, okay, at the beginning he saw the ghost when his eyes were closed, but the rest of the time he always saw the ghost when his eyes were open. So I think I would just close my eyes and go to sleep. <laughs> but I don't know. You know, that was like every time I close my eyes they show up. Like, you're seeing them with your eyes open. So What's deal the difference with it. At this point?
1: Yeah. Take the pills. <laughs> well, that's essentially what Helena was trying to tell him, you know, and that's I, this is one of the few areas where I will give some kind of props. You know, you say, deal with it. And essentially, yeah, that's what he had to
0: do. He had to deal with it. And, I, and you know, and evidence that Terrence Dix must never really have seen an episode of Space 1999 was that, um, you know, Helena actually sort of cures him. Amazing. I know. She's, she, like, she actually, she, she, she played Moon Shrink. She she did what, you know, said, well, it's an old technique, but it's still the most effective. And let's go ahead and do that. And it worked. And, and I... I thought that was that was good. Um, less uh, less good was the fact that after that, suddenly she reveals that John is the fourth person that scored super high on the tests when there was no evidence of that at all that he'd he taken any he tests test. and had never of course, been tested. Here's yours are the strongest. Mm. Well, he was it's tied. in my contract.
1: <laughs> Well, she says that he's tied with Carolyn.
0: Today, I thought he said she, she was, he was well, stronger. She,
1: well, at one point, she does kind of suggest that he is the strongest because he's Koenig. Uh, but then there's another moment where she actually says that, her, that his rating is as high as Carolyn's. Yeah,
0: yeah, I don't remember the exact word, but I, I got the impression that, you know. But I could have taken, you know, doing that in the whole John Koenig thing. It's like, he can outfight anybody unless he needs to lose, and he's the only guy that can withstand the gravity, and he's the only person that can continue to stand up when everyone falls down, and that's John Koenig. You know, mm. it's in my contract, and so therefore you must have the strongest ESP powers too. Um, even though everybody else was getting cool stuff, like one guy was winning games, and, and he's getting ghosts. Kind of, kind of suck, and then that's where it, it. Well, what is Carolyn's plan? I, I th- th- no, that, that's a very, very good question.
1: <laughs> what is what is the the goal? I mean, okay, become she she declares herself commander of Moonbase, but to what end? It, and one argument could be, I know who would want it, you know, and one argument could be that this is the problem. You know, and this is a conversation that you and I have had way in the past with talking like, with like about Dr. Who. And that is villains are so ridiculous because their plans are completely unbelievable. And this is a classic one. I mean, what? So what she wants to be command the moon base. So she can turn everybody on uh, there uh an alpha to be to, well, to be her puppet, to be her plaything, that's gonna get old very fast. But then again, the argument is
0: she's completely irrational. She yeah, I, I think that's what we're gonna have to go with, is that she's she's irrational. Now what she does to Tony and Maya makes sense in the context later presented that she needs people to hate them to get the power so debasing Tony is going to fire his Italian hatred mm. and putting Maya to die in front of him is gonna do it even more so I mean if well she, and doing it also that the she's other way trying too. to generate hatred but like freezing Sandra or the other alpha people so that they just can't move I, I, I don't want to use the phrase where's the fun in that but I mean literally where is the fun you, in that you need all these people to stay alive
1: well her fun was what was really the whole tony maya
0: thing that's what she was getting her her glee well she's probably still ticked off that tony suspected her of committing murder the could nerve be. of him <laughs> could be the nerve of the guy just because i killed him mm. and then he suspected me and he asked me questions mean questions like did you not like her <laughs> you know um so I, I like I say by doing what she's doing, I can see them generating hatred, assuming that the mind is still operating inside inside the head there. And I think we're supposed to imply that it is because he fights so hard not to kneel or not to call her commander. Oh yeah, that that scene with him. Yeah, that's that's like over and it's like oh, they. You got your money's worth from acting school today, Tony. <laughs> But um, yeah, but don't do it too too well, you know. The, or uh,
1: you know, Martin Landau might feel a wee bit jealous. That's right, getting that's a job. bigger acting <clears throat> scene than me.
0: And then there's um, Maya the caterpillar. How much air does a Caterpillar need? Not that much. I, I I, mean,
1: inside that container, it could have lasted for quite a while. Probably far longer than Maya could hold that form. Probably, easily. I would think. And that would have made for a better threat. It's like, okay, when, when the hour is up, she's going to change, and she's going to be... You know, God only knows. I mean, will she snap that thing, or will it crush her? You know, I could...
0: <clears throat> I could think of a I could think of a whole bunch of more amusing ways to torture Tony with Maya in caterpillar form, mm-hmm. you know and and cruel i will admit cruel and and you know I might step on her, huh, maybe you'll step on her, Tony stand up, he has no choice, I right? just like everything else, or he could put her in his mouth or mm. you know there's all sorts of things that uh that she could do that or here Tony I want you to put one hand on this desk and one hand on this desk and I want you to lift yourself up and suspend your feet right over my, and let's see how long you can stay like that yeah, there could all sorts of rotten things she could do to him. and then the boring uh, caterpillar in the glass case which I really thinks not that airtight it, no I don't
1: either um, it was very unimaginative
0: insects don't breathe like we do either right? they don't have lungs they 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 do their breathing through the skin um Mm -hmm. processing oxygen directly into their cells so yeah yeah i wonder if there's a website for how long you can put an insect in an airtight container before it dies i hate to say this i'll bet there is
1: i'm you know i don't doubt i'm not
0: gonna look for it though but i'm not either but i'm sure there is i'm sure there is Uh, I got nothing else.
1: I don't either. I mean, that pretty much covers it for me.
0: This was not one of the better episodes.
1: Oh, please. I mean, this one is in the lower, very much lower percentile.
0: Well, we we only have a few. We only have a few left, thank God. If I'm not uh mistaken. No more than 10. <laughs> it's not that many. No, it's not. But but it feels like it could be. <laughs> it's like- feels like it could be. Um, I'm guessing it's about 6. I'm
1: like mm. I'm trying like to look it reach. up right
0: now here so that I can tell people what our next episode is, which will be mm.
1: the Seance Spectre. You know, now that one I
0: don't remember.
1: Not off the title. It does not ring a
0: bell. And then we've got Dorzak, Devil's That Threat, one I do remember. The Immunity Syndrome and oh. the Dorkons. So that is... Two, I remember the Dorkons. Four, five. That's not far from six. <laughs> That's mm. not far from Six. So, um, anyway, Ben, thank you for joining me.
1: I wish I could say it was a pleasure, but
0: not this time. (laughs) And once again, listeners, it's a pleasure to have you here. And we hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Cheers. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com, search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol, check out our Twitter handle, at Fusion Patrol, or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf.